Hi, and welcome to the After Astonite podcast. I'm Katrina Wiperi, a graduate of the Aston Executive MBA. And I'm Jeff Savage from Aston's Alumni Relations and Development Team. Join us as we chat to our Aston University alumni and hear the remarkable stories of where their careers have taken them. We have more than 100,000 alumni in 100 countries around the world. Between them, they're saving lives, competing in the Olympics, building multi-million pound empires, getting on important lists, and a whole lot more. Get ready to be inspired as we discover what some of our alumni did after Aston. Hi everyone, and welcome to the first episode of After Aston Eye. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by our Aston University alumna, Christine Kelly. After graduating from Aston University in 1993 with a degree in International Business and Modern Languages, Christine joined JP Morgan as the European Head of Collateral Marketing. After having a son in 2002, she then went on to set up the multi-award winning international franchise program, Little Kickers. The company sold its first franchise in 2004 and now operates through a network of over 330 franchisees in over 30 countries. Christine was awarded an honorary doctorate in business administration by Aston University in 2019 and successfully exited Little Kickers in October 2022 when she oversaw its acquisition by a US-based private equity firm. Christine, welcome to the After Astonai podcast. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here. It's always difficult to know where to start when you've got guests with very interesting backstories. And also, it's very interesting to ask people to try and sum up so much experience into such a short space of time. Are you able to give us a brief overview of the timeline from basically you graduating from Aston to where we find you now? Sure. Although I have to warn you, it's actually quite a long time. So I'll keep it as short as I can. So I graduated from Aston with a degree in international business and modern languages back in 1993. When I left university, I actually joined Pricewaterhouse or PricewaterhouseCoopers they are now, but in those days they were uh, Pricewaterhouse. And I was a trainee accountant and I did that for about a year and a half. Absolutely hated it. And I was so bad at it. It was unbelievable. So I ended up quitting that and, and then I joined JP Morgan, which I loved. I had a great career there. I was there for about five or six years, did lots of traveling, ended up being the European head of collateral marketing. And... Then after that, I joined Enron for about four months before it became the largest ever corporate bankruptcy. And I joined Enron as a risk manager. So that was an interesting twist in my career. (laughs) And following on from Enron, I uh, decided to not go back into the corporate world, but to spend a bit of time at home with my son, who I at the time was two. And I'd hardly seen him really for the first two years of his life. So I really wanted to spend a little bit of time with him. So that was when I set up Little Kickers. And since then, the kind of rest is history. I ran Little Kickers from 2002 until 2022 when I sold it in October last year. And that kind of pretty much brings us up to date. Amazing. Amazing. That sounds great. So what kind of highlights and challenges did you face running a business like Little Kickers at the beginning? I think with any new business, probably there's a lot of similar types of challenges. I'd say the main one, was it going to work? And it's all well and good quitting your well-paid city career and saying, I'm going to do something myself. But I had no experience in football. I had no experience in franchising, no real idea what I was doing at that point in time in terms of how to develop a business or anything. And so I think the hardest thing in the initial stages is to just keep the faith and keep going and just think, whatever happens, I'm going to make it work. So probably for the first few years, probably at least the first year or two, I didn't really know if it was going to work or not. And it was just a lot of slog trying to get it off the ground, 
and build it into something sustainable. Did the initial idea for it come not necessarily fully formed, not but perhaps in one go that then developed? Or was it a, a slow accumulation, a little trickle of different ideas that you realised you'd actually had on your mind for a while? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, the main idea arrived when I decided that I needed a little bit of time off work. It coincided with Enron going bankrupt and just wanted to spend a bit of time with my son because I'd barely seen him for the first two years of his life. And I discovered at that point that he absolutely loved football. So every day he would drag me out onto Wandsworth Common in London and I'd have to go in goal and he'd kick balls past me. And I'm of a generation of women in the UK where football wasn't a thing that we were taught at school. It's become a bit more mainstream now, which is fantastic. But back when I was at school in the 80s, it wasn't a thing that women did. So I didn't really know how I could teach him football myself. So I tried to find some classes. I found one class actually that started at three years old. So I took him along to that, but it was a bit of a disaster. It was just like kids, like a pack of wolves chasing around this ball and the bigger and faster kids at the front always got the ball. And then the smaller little ones at the back didn't really get much chance to play. So I realized at that point that there wasn't really anything for his age group and decided that it would be good to set something up if there was demand. So I ran a little pilot in his nursery school and um, deliberately asked my friends not to sign up for it because they felt sorry for me. I said, I'd rather see if there's actually, if it's commercially viable. Went out around the area of London I lived in, handing out flyers to anyone I saw with pushchair and managed to get the classes actually oversubscribed by about 400% in the first week, which kind of, of course, led me to then be scrambling around trying to find a coach because it's quite a specific skill to coach 16 two-year-olds and not necessarily something that most football coaches want to do or are good at. So as time went on, I realized the program needed to evolve and focus as much on really early learning skills as football. So things like teaching the kids about colors, numbers, parts of the body, socialization, and so on. And then it got to the point where after the first year, um, I realized that my idea was probably pretty copyable for the first year because really I didn't know much about football. So anyone with a bag of balls could have shown up in a park and, and run, set up in competition with me. So I decided that what I had to do was to try and expand it as quickly as I could into as many areas of London where I thought competitors might pop up. So I did that. And then it got to the point where I was running about 35 classes a week by the end of the first year. And I was barely seeing Lucas again because I was so busy. So uh, that's when I decided to look into how to expand it. And I stumbled across franchising and uh, that became my route forward from about early 2004 onwards. I set up the first franchisee and then just grew it from there. Amazing. And so did you always know that you wanted to go globally or is it something that you just wanted to keep in the UK initially? I think when I was studying at Aston, studying international business, I'd always found the idea of, of the kind of international aspects of business really fascinating. And I'd had quite good experience working you know, overseas in different offices for JP Morgan and things. I think that had opened my eyes to the whole international aspects of work. I think really always in the back of my mind was the thought that I would love to expand it overseas, but I just wasn't really sure how. And to begin with, I think with the business, it was always like bite-sized chunks. What can I do next that I know I can do? And then every now and again, you think, actually, maybe it could get really big and be a little bit different. So yeah, initially I, I didn't really think about expanding it internationally, but as soon as I'd established it in the UK and knew that the business model worked, I just thought, why not? Might as well give it a try. I read a couple of slightly older interviews with you in preparation for, for having you on the podcast today. And there were a couple of things that popped up. And you mentioned 
I can't remember which publication this was, but you mentioned that there were some difficulties getting certain countries around the world to accept the idea that they could learn anything about football from England. Yes, I think most countries we went into, we had to recognise that there would be cultural differences because I think football is a sport that people are so passionate about. So I think the one you might be referring to, though, that you may have read about was when we tried to launch into Brazil. And it was actually, we had a really nice couple, Everson and Mika, who'd worked for us in Australia as operations managers, but they were originally Brazilian. They wanted to launch Little Kickers into Brazil. But the big stumbling block we had was that we didn't think that Brazilian parents would really think that a kind of British slash Canadian football company was a very credible source to teach their children football. So what we did was decided that we would launch an English language program with Little Kickers. So we started to teach kids English through the football program. And that um, became quite a USP in Brazil, actually. There was a conference there, an annual conference a couple of weeks ago. And I think they're up to over 40 franchisees there now. So they've done really well growing the business there. But that, once we developed it for Brazil, it enabled us to launch into China and Peru and Chile and a bunch of different countries. So that was really helpful. Would you class that as one of those examples where in a business career, having to do something out of necessity actually ends up producing maybe something better that you might not even thought of if you hadn't have had that challenge in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many times, and it's certainly not just little kickers. I've got lots of friends who run their own businesses and we we all have these conversations about times where there's something that you think is really challenging and you think, I don't know how I can get around this. But quite often, that's the thing that when you think of different solutions and brainstorm, you come up with something really outside the box, which is the thing that makes a big difference to your business. I also think that things like that, initially were the things that fueled me because quite often it was a situation that I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, but I know that if anyone else had to deal with this, it might be the thing that would make them give up. It's not going to be the thing that will make me give up. I'm going to keep going, whatever. So at that point, it starts in your head to form itself as some form of competitive advantage almost in a way. Everyone else is probably going to face a lot of the same challenges, but if you're the one who manages to push on through them, come up with innovative solutions, you're more likely to have a successful business in the future. It sounds like you're actually really passionate about this as well, which always helps. If you did this again, is there anything specific that you would actually do differently or branch out into other specific countries before you went to places like Brazil? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the main mission of the business when I set it up was to get as many kids as we could provided with a positive, fun introduction to sport. And with that as a mission, it's pretty broad. So what it meant was that obviously the UK was a really important market where we first set up and it basically funded the expansion of the business into other countries. But the mission statement meant was if someone contacted me from Ecuador, for example, and said, oh, we'd love to set up Little Kickers here. If I thought that they were the right kind of person and they had a similar ethos and they were doing it for the right reasons, then I would do my absolute best to make sure that they could set up a franchise and make it successful. I think looking at the business from a kind of financial point of view, that's probably not the best way to go about it. If you were doing it purely from a financial point of view, you'd go into enormous markets, the US and and, and so on, and develop the business there because it's a lot cheaper to just churn out franchises in one country rather than every new country. You're investigating new legal aspects of franchising. You're having to register the trademarks. It's quite an expensive and time-consuming and cumbersome process. And also making the tweaks that you have to make 
to the product to make sure that it works in those different markets. So I think if I was doing it from a financial point of view, I wouldn't have done it the way I did it, but I wasn't doing it for that reason. I was doing it because I wanted to get as many kids as I could around the world involved in sport. And I recognized that there were a lot of people who were in a similar position to myself after they'd had kids who were stuck in these 7.30 till 10.30 wage slave kind of job where I didn't really see my son. And to me, that's no way to live. So I wanted to do something for myself that would enable me to spend more time with my kids as they were growing up and to have more freedom to live my life the way I wanted to. But I had a kind of very heavy assumption that probably there were a lot of other people in the same situation, whether they had kids or not. No one really likes to be chained to a desk for hours every day. You like to have a little bit of freedom and independence and control over your life. Christine, I feel a bit sneaky doing this because I've gone back and as I say, I've read loads of your old interviews. But you mentioned in one of them, they asked you about weaknesses and you said you can be a bit indecisive sometimes because you have a lot of ideas. Do you think that's the case on second reflection? And do you have any particular examples? I would like to refer to it as flexible rather than indecisive, but probably I know that my team would probably have referred to it as slightly indecisive. And I think for them, probably they found it a bit annoying from time to time. I think what it did mean was that I'm quite happy even if we're doing something in an established way, to change the way that we do it if I think there's a better way of doing it. And so I'm quite open-minded in that regard. But I think that does make it a little bit tricky for the people who I work with. Having said that, I think as an organization, we were surprisingly flexible given by the time Little Kickers, by the time I sold the business, um, we had about 5,000 employees and we could still make reasonably quick decisions and implement them quite quickly, which is really unusual, I think, for a, for a kind of organization of that size and scale. So I know probably people on the team found it frustrating and it is probably a weakness, but I like to view it in some lights as a strength. <laughs> Do you think that there are some of those kind of stereotypically decisive people who maybe miss out on opportunities in their career by saying, that's my goal and this is how I'm going to get there and then I will not deviate at any point? I do, because you don't know what's going to happen. Probably people like that, when the pandemic came along, were knocked for six. So I think you never know what the external environment's going to throw at you or when an opportunity may arise that you'll be kicking yourself if you're so rigid in your mind that you don't capitalise on it. I think flexibility, it, it can be a frustrating thing for people around you, but I think it's not a bad thing in business. And when did you feel like it was the time to make that decision to leave Little Kickers? When did you decide that? And what was your thought process with that? So it was probably around 2016, 2017, so quite a long time ago. I'd started looking into what I needed to do to sell the business. And it's actually quite a long and cumbersome process of things that you need to do to prepare the business for sale. So I started doing all of those things one of which was hiring a CEO. From what I understood and what I read, it's very important to try to not be the main person running the business when you come to sell it, because otherwise people think the business wouldn't be able to run without her and they reduce the valuation of the business. And also they're more likely to then say to you, you have to stay on and do an earn out. So keep working for the business for a couple of years under our leadership. And I didn't really want to do that if I could avoid it. So I hired a CEO, I actually hired him as the managing director of the UK back in around 2017 and then promoted him into my role in 2018. And then I think I would have probably exited the business sooner, but the pandemic came along and we went from going great guns business-wise, financially and everything, 
to going to nothing. And we had a year of practically no earnings, but we still had to provide some support to the franchisees and things like that. So it was quite a difficult situation. And then once the pandemic had finished, I needed really to give the business time to recover. So it had a year after the pandemic, during which time we were trying to build it back up to where it had been and better. And then the business was sold in October last year. Before we wrap up, we've got three questions that we're going to be asking all of our guests. So everyone gets the same three. Um, I'll ask the first one. It's one of the biggest ones and probably one of the hardest ones to answer. What's the most valuable lesson you've learned throughout your career? Actually, I'll give you two or three. What are the most valuable two or three lessons? Okay. So I'd say when I first started running Little Kickers, I first set it up, I was quite risk averse. And I didn't really know what I was doing, as I said. And so I was very cautious and I didn't want to set a foot wrong and take too many chances or anything like that. I think I realized over time that unless you're prepared to take risks and make bold decisions, the business isn't really going to grow that much and it's never going to reach its full potential. So I got used to, after a while, whenever there was a kind of difficult point in the business saying what's the worst that could happen at this particular point in time if I take a risk. And as long as I was reasonably okay with the outcome of that, then I would just do it. I would go ahead, take the risk, see what happened. And that kind of seems to have worked for me. And it's something that I try to now carry forward in the rest of my life when it comes to work. The other thing is actually something I was taught at Aston years and years ago. So we had a professor called Ray Loveridge who taught us international business environment. And he used to always say to us, stick to your knitting. And at university, I always used to think, what is he talking about? But then I realized once I've been running Little Kickers for a while, people kept coming to me with kind of new opportunities. Oh, do you want to do Gaelic football classes? And do you want to do netball? And do you want to do this and that? And all these different countries and things like that. And I think what I took from what Ray Loveridge said was that actually, if you find something and it works really well and you're doing a good job of it, just focus on that thing and do it to the absolute best of your abilities. And so when we were looking at expanding the business and should we go into multiple countries or should we launch different products and things like that, when we took the approach of sticking to our knitting, it meant that we actually just focused on kids' football and expanded it internationally into a lot of different countries. I think it would have been quite a different story if we'd gone down the route of doing rugby and dancing and all the other things we were thinking about at the time. Have you, just curiosity, have you ever used that phrase with colleagues and with staff or have you just kept it inside your own head? <laughs> I've used it with them and they all look at me like I'm a bit mad. <laughs> from, from my year IBML, I'm sure they will all remember Ray Loveridge and his stick to your knitting. <laughs> so what's next for you, Christine, then? I have had a year off now since I sold the business. I was planning on taking a year off and I've actually just literally nearly a week ago come up with an idea for another business. And I'm still in the research phase of that at the moment, but I'm quite excited about it. And I don't want to say too much in case I decide that it's not something I want to do. But at this stage, I thought that I might just slope off into the sunset and retire. But I think after a year of not really doing that much, I'd probably get very bored. And last question, where can people find you if they'd like to connect or find out more? Sure. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn. So just Christine Kelly. And I think I'm on there as the founder of Little Kickers. I know there's a few different Christine Kellys on there, but um, that's probably the best place to find me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christine, for your time. We really appreciate it. 
And we've loved getting to know about you and your career since Aston University. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Christine. It's lovely to meet you both. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of After Aston Eye. We hope you feel inspired and that you've learned as much as we have. Stay tuned for more episodes. And in the meantime, don't forget to check out the Aston for Life platform, our exclusive online space for alumni. You can get access to personalised professional development content, industry networks and a directory to help you connect with others working in your sector. You can get involved in the platform by creating your own content. And if you can't see a network that you think should be on there, you can submit a pitch to be a network leader. Head to alumni.aston.ac.uk to get started. Until next time.